Patrick, we've been friends for 30 years. We have? Yes, I know your dementia is creeping up on you, but I finally found the missing piece to that case we started 30 years ago when we were young spry detectives. Is it Spry Kids 2 on DVD? How did you know? Because they're the first detectives that taught me how to be a detective, and I didn't watch the first film, but the second film with the scary little tarantula man and everyone else, that really blew my damn old mind. (laughs) My mind is so cracked and demented, I'm going through multiple dimensions. That is how you figured out this case so quickly? Yes, my wily old mind is a portal to years and years before where my mind wasn't so wily at all. Mason, to figure out this case in all of season three of True Detective, will you join me through my wild mind and solve the podcast? I'm so ready for this. I've been waiting 30 years. How do we start? By realizing we're both under 30 and going whooshy-woo! I'm still sort of perplexed by the skit that we just did. But it's okay. We're here talking about True Detective Season 3. On HBO. And that's what we're talking about here today on Son of a Ginger. Talking about all the entertainment all on your TV. Yeah! <laughs> and I'm Patrick Baylor, and I'm with my co-host, Mason Moreau. Hi there, people. Mahershal Ali, the star of this season, recent Oscar winner, double Oscar winner now for The Green Book, and this is definitely the better piece of media of just Mahershala Ali and Picar for at least half of the thing. That's what I assume The Green Book is. And as a whole, you know, with this being the end of the season, compared to season one and two, not bad, huh? Right? Not bad. No, I mean, I was pretty satisfied by this season overall, but I think it, it had some missteps. And I sort of had this weird perspective because I was simultaneously watching season one on my own as we were watching season three weekly. And so I was able to sort of compare them. I started to notice the parallels pretty quickly. You know, they have two cops that are partners. They're both sort of interesting characters that you want to know more about. First season, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. This season, Mahershala Ali, Stephen Dorff. I'd say, yeah, by comparison, you know, I think it gets the chemistry right again that season one had. The only difference is this was definitely the Mahershala show. And we see that in that this season was definitely different. Season one and season two as well, you know, they do time jumps, but the time jumps happen linearly. You know, give or take. They happen more as the case unfolds. Yeah, exactly. There's a pretty distinct, in season one, there's a pretty distinct moment where the case picks back up when they're older. But in this season, they do this really great, great storytelling technique where they're bouncing through different time periods pretty frequently throughout the episodes. And I think when we we were talking during an episode that we were watching, like, you have to be a state-of-the-art storyteller to be able to pull that off and make things make sense. Yeah, because good old Nick Pizzolato. So he gets right what he got early on, and I think, yeah, he improves it by telling all these stories because he reveals the stories. We don't figure something out from, like, the 1980 case when it then jumps to 2015. We figure enough out, but they all really unfold parallel. The way they built this case that we'll, we'll get into in a minute... The way they've built this case out, the pieces that fall into place don't happen 
in the same time periods. So you'll find out one piece of the case that happened in 1980, and then the next clue gets revealed in 1990. And then the next clue is revealed in present day. And then it sort of doubles back and sort of bounces through these time periods to weave the narrative semi-linearly. It's still a linear story, but the time period is completely fluid. Yeah. And it just makes it like the fun little extra thing of it all because Mahershal Ali's character, Detective Wayne Purple Hayes. Wayne Purple Hayes. He, and a cool guy at that. He's very flawed. But, you know, as he gets older, he has some sort of dementia so just this spotty memory thing you know it it feels like we are kind of looking it through his eyes as this you know flawed narrator and truly flawed he is we'll get more into the characters later but what's the story all about so we start in 1980 this is the, the first story we start in and it's a simple two kids go missing and they gotta find them race tensions are high in mid-arkansas yes post-vietnam war People are still feeling the sting of the results of that war. And in the midst of the the cultural climate in, I'd say, the more western part of the South, two children go missing, and the two detectives are put on the case. One of them is found dead. The other one is presumed dead until she shows up in fingerprints in 1990. 1990, 10 years later, where everyone's got a different haircut. Stephen Dorff's much better. I'd say Mahershala's is better, too. They learn how to take care of their hair. That's the main takeaway in this time jump. <laughs> anyway, the case goes on and they try to figure out, you know, like the little parts of the case in 80. Then in 1990, it seems like, oh, I guess they didn't figure the case out. Oh, okay. Spoiler ahead. All right. I guess you could just do that time jump. Whatever. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, it's the same beat as season one where it's like, oh, the, it looks like the case wasn't solved like we all thought it was. Whoa, it looks like. Purple Haze and Stephen Dorff are back together. What's Stephen Dorff's character's name? Roland West. Oh, yeah. Old Haze and Dorfy. Haze and West, back on the job. Back on the job. Yeah, so find fingerprints from the dead girl. <gasps> She's been alive the whole time. Whoa, 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 what? Let's get back together. Which is, I think, is the cliffhanger for episode one or two. And that sort of catalyzes the rest of the events of the show, is finding Julie Purcell wherever she may be. Through that, a whole criminal conspiracy is suggested, not necessarily uncovered. Sort of one of the criticisms I have of the show is they, they buried a lot of leads toward the end of this. Yeah, and then that's in 90, and then now we get to 2015, where then he's old man Hayes, and he's talking to probably some HBO crew of some true crime doc, saying, oh, it doesn't seem like they got it all the pieces right. What happened? You gotta know. And then, yeah, so... To get into your, the next point that you're about to get into, that's like another thing of like, they suggest that Hayes did it, or they suggest that, you know, there's just all these things that are uncovered, and then it just shows, I don't know, how sloppily both the case are, and then them kind of maybe throwing a little bit of all these plot things at the wall at once, and then we try to disseminate and figure out what's true and what isn't. Yeah, I mean, so it's almost self-referential, because in this last episode that we just watched, Hayes is sitting down with his wife, who they've had problems throughout the show trying to understand one another as they do their own thing within their power to uncover the facts about this case where his wife says to him we started our story and we haven't figured out how it wants to end right and talking about their relationship but i also feel like the writer of this show had the same problem <laughs> where he started his story and created all of these branches 
and didn't know how to tie him off with a nice bow. Yeah, let, let's get to all the crazy things that kind of popped up that were, I guess, like red herrings too. You know, it keeps us interested. It keeps yeah. us interested in you know the eight weeks as we watch week by week. And now we're able to step back and say, oh, well, that was BS the whole time. That's annoying. That's another thing that people had uh, problems with with The Last Jedi. You know, the whole Finn mm -hmm. uh, side plot was a little bit of a red herring as well. But it was something to do and it was exciting as you watched it. But now that you can take a step back, it's like, oh, well, I can just skip through most of that, can I? Yeah, it's like that didn't end up really mattering, did it? Exactly. So back in 80, we got that with, you know, a lot of the characters that, you know, were suspects. We got that with Woodard, the local neighborhood man that just loves taking out trash. Yeah, poor Woodard. Poor Woodard. And then we get that with that high school kid as well. like The kids that were out in Devil's Den drinking beer and stuff. Yeah. That sort of comes to a head when Detective Hayes really grills him and sort of psychologically harms him. And you see that sort of start to have consequences later when he meets back up with the person a decade later. And he's being sort of standoffish and saying, like, why would you say that to a kid and all that kind of stuff? But throughout this whole show, these two detectives make some very harsh decisions mm -hmm. and don't end up facing consequences for those. They murder a man in cold blood while they're basically torturing him to give them information. They bury the body. Michael Rooker shows up and says he has a GPS and that he'll be able to dig him up. And then none of that plays out. And this is during the 1990 storyline, right? Yeah. Just for the listeners that are getting as confused as I kind of was while watching, you know? Yeah. Connecting what's what. So, like, they don't really face any sort of consequence for murdering someone as police officers. Not even, they didn't even, like, I'm not saying they had to confess right? Because that would just mean that these detectives go to jail and the whole thing becomes about a court case. Right? You don't want to watch that. But they didn't do enough to show how that psychologically rode on these detectives. Or I would have liked to have seen Hayes fess up to his wife about it, maybe. And that could be how they separated, which is another big loose end that they never tied up, is how Detective Hayes and his wife end up splitting. Because in this last episode, the last interaction they have together on the screen is them making some sort of reconciliation and understanding each other a little more and wanting to move forward. But we never see them get to another point where they end up splitting. And I guess it's irrelevant. Yeah, because when you think about it, like in this true detective case, you know, to the case itself, and that's what I guess they're alluding to of this is all important to the case. It isn't technically important, I guess, you know, obviously they don't figure anything out in that 25 years, so why bother caring or showing about it, you know? Why show him go through any more strife or the opposite of strife? Why show them, you know, living a happy married life and maybe she dies off? Kind of have to dot those lines herself. And, you know, with the, with the show of this caliber, you don't want to necessarily do that. I wouldn't mind a nice little bow of just saying, with just maybe a sentence, and then she died after writing her last book and they were big pals and everything got along but then maybe that's why something happened with his daughter and that's why she didn't like him that much you know those couple extra things i think helped for the sake of you know character building and everything like that and us understanding like why in the 2015 storyline uh hayes you know is just a little bit more somber and stuff anyway otherwise you know it would have been helpful to get a little explanation in this kind of crazy season where an explanation would have been helpful you know we got that at the end with them saying how the case ended up Sure, was it was a little quick, but it was a nice way to kind of finally add clarity and closure to the season overall. You know, mm -hmm. what she want in a season finale? And it really... For an anthology series. Closing up the case was really a 
nice happily ever after sort of bow to tie on it, right? Here's this girl who's gone through a whole bunch of stuff, ending up finding someone from her past life and ending up marrying that person, recreating herself again, right? And all the strife that you see in this whole season between the main characters, Roland not being so caught up in police work and really not finding time to have a personal life that is worthwhile. Playing with his dogs. Yeah, and deciding to raise dogs and uh, going sober and then becoming an alcoholic again. And all of these people are tortured souls. And you see the product of that torture manifesting in something that's beautiful at the end of it. Which I think is just, it's its very nice to see. It's a good way to, to close that sort of story off. You know, all this all this work that they did, it wasn't for nothing, I guess, because yeah. Julie Purcell really did end up having a happy and fulfilling life. And so I'd say, like, that is kind of the closure we do end up getting. We don't get it with all these random plot points that they throw at mm-hmm. us. But yeah, we get it with, we know that Hayes is all right. Roland's okay. even Even little old Julie. The only one that's not okay is, fortunately, the Purcell parents, as they're both dead. And R.I.P. As they are both dead. Which is one thing. They don't explain why the guy, the CSO, chief security officer guy, flew to L.A. and presumably killed Julie Purcell's mother. That was unclear as well. Like, it may... Did they, like, explain it really quickly? Like, in that, like, two-minute or five-minute explainer or... In the middle of things? I don't remember there being any sort of closure with that little plot point. Because what we were led to believe of like, oh, the people in the prostitution ring maybe knew about her and how she was going to tell and then killed her off. But we were led to believe that there is a child prostitution ring being run out of this chicken factory. And it's all sort of kingpinned by the executives of this Hoyt processed food plant. Plenty of things sort of point in that direction and then the whole plot sort of veers in another direction right after they it feels like something compelling was there i don't know maybe it's just the writers sitting down and thinking well too cliched maybe of just like here's this secret crime thing and now the detectives are gonna go in and go 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 get on the ground get on come on get you know and just Action happens and then nice music as the sun rises and someone has a blanket over them and everyone's found and everything's okay. That's what the first season of True Detective kind of showed. It's, this isn't your regular crime story. This is your regular procedural. It's different. It's showing a little bit that not every police case gets found out with a last second raid or with all the evidence just clicking together. Sometimes there's these random things that lead to nothing and it's frustrating for everyone and we see that with the characters the characters are wildly just frustrated that nothing is working out for them you know right and you know season one had a crazed serial killer and the climax was sort of this horror scene where they're chasing after this serial killer and then they they find closure and actually catching the guy as private investigators not even detectives anymore but the real closure just comes from the reunification of everybody at the end of that season. Yeah. And that happens as well in this show. And I think that that's where they all start to parallel as well. And that's where we're getting to sort of a formula that we see in both of these seasons. I haven't seen season two, but there's a formula where these detectives go through all sorts of hell throughout the season 
and then in one way or another end up being all happy again. It all works out. So speaking of being happy, Mason, what performances were you the most happy with? I mean, obviously Mahershala Ali. All of the performances were great. I don't think there was a single one that I thought was half-assed or the writing didn't do enough to make me understand why Detective Hayes's wife kept investigating the case and kept poking the hornet's nest and kept wanting to intervene and you know sort of sort of get in the way per se and she was doing so much poking and prodding and slyly trying to figure out information which i felt was unnecessary you don't think it's two two things to one legitimize herself as a writer overall and two to see what happens to these people that were also close to her you know these missing kids were her students you know that makes total sense she could have been totally motivated by that but they didn't in the multitude of arguments that they had about that i don't really remember her ever bringing that up you're right or saying saying you know like this is this happened in my community i want to know what happened about it just as much as you do the whole idea of her writing a book stems from the fact that she said she feels she has a voice and wants to use that voice to tell this story and and tell it the right way and write a best-selling book it seemed like she was doing it for the wrong reasons for much of the season i still saw someone that cared and wanted to see the truth and you know that's what i still think that their pairing was and that got them you know to fall in love and just come together is that you know they both wanted to see this truth out and then as they wanted to see the truth out you know they wanted to not necessarily stick true to themselves but stick true to their professions hayes really wanted to figure this out and get the truth out for the case and do right by the people affected the victims and really help them. And yeah, as a writer, you know, I feel like Amelia wants to do the same thing of just get out the truth and her knowing with her partner that she literally knows that what they decided wasn't the truth. So she's doing it the other way of trying to find the truth without all the BS and red tape that is beating the police. That's what I saw and got out of it. You know, I, I would agree. Like, I think maybe as they got to know each other, their egos got too much into it to where instead of just worrying about the truth, you know, it's worrying about, all right, me, Amelia needs to find out the truth. Me, Hayes needs to find out the truth and not anyone else. And maybe not my partner finding that out. It's me that's got to find it out. I got to be number one to find it out. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can be my helper. I'm the detective who's on this case. I'm the one who wrote the best-selling book about this case. Like they, they have this war over who really is the one who has all this information. Especially those two just kind of went back and forth. And I really liked th- this last episode because it was a good little portrait in just like the growth of a couple, I guess, you know, in that we saw them fall in love and then we saw them, you know, kind of go through the general household stuff. But then through all that, we saw them figuring careers out and those careers literally coming out ahead mm-hmm. and figuring out how they as a couple kind of, you know, work that stuff out. Going back to what I said earlier, the case is a linear story. The development of the case is a linear story, but everything around it is nonlinear. You see Hayes, and he's here, and he's dating Amelia, and then you it jumps forward in time, and Hayes is married to Amelia, and you say, oh, I wonder how they got from A to B. Yeah. And you find that out through these bits and pieces, similar to the case, but the case develops itself linearly while everything around it that develops the characters themselves develops nonlinearly, which I felt was a very, very nice, unique way to tell a story. Yeah. So those characters were great. I will say, I still think best performances, and I think the most believable to me, you know, I really did see the strife in his eyes 
and I don't think it was overacted. He just did a good job in I think acting out what he would have what would have happened to him. Scoot McNary, wonderful in my yeah. opinion. You know, and because we saw the layers to his character at first, you know, he's just he's just a dad maybe with a secret, but he's just a dad trying to find his kids and then yeah, then we find out later that no one likes him because he's gay and he's obviously hiding that because he can't do that where he's from in the time that he's in. So we see him go through that stuff. And so that's another random loose end that never gets covered. Tom Purcell, the Purcell kid's father is found dead, but in a cliffhanger in the sixth episode, they show Tom Purcell finding the pink room that his daughter grew up in unbeknownst to him and a man coming up behind him with a knife. Oh, that's right. And then the beginning of the next episode shows that Tom Purcell is in Devil's Den where his kids were lost and he has a suicide note and the viewer knows that it's fake and knows that he was murdered, but we never find out why he was murdered. They didn't talk about that at all. Goodness, that's a huge loose end. What the hell? Yeah. Was that Michael Rooker maybe? Like, I don't I don't know. It wasn't Michael Rooker. It was the CSO guy, the Hoyt chief security officer. It was oh, okay. It was his silhouette. Yeah behind him because he lived in that house. They never explain why that man would have been compelled to have any sort of murder. And I guess it's because they killed him before they could find anything out. And then and then they used like truly the most affected we've seen Tom's character was yeah, was in episode six once now that he's just accused again ten years later after he's gone clean and everything. And then yeah, these random side criminal shadow characters take advantage of all of that, and then, yeah, use that to kill him. It makes me wonder of, like, you know, they did it in whatever episode where they showed stuff from season one of saying, like, hey, there's this pedophile ring. I'm just wondering, they must be using this to set something else up for later seasons. And now I bring you to... (sighs) I think I smell a sequel. What's that smell? Is Darcy cooking up something good, or do I smell a sequel? (laughs) I smell a sequel. So I think I smell a sequel. Because of all these loose ends, you know, it'd be silly and I think not very HBO to just throw them all away. We see at the very end that good old Mahershala has found out where Julie now lives with her family and gives whatever was in his pocket to good old cyborg, his son, Ray Fisher. And he's also a cop. Uh, and there's still loose ends to be had. So wouldn't it be great if cyborg and his wacky team of the documentary lady and his wife that finds out that he's cheating on her with the documentary lady go through all and find who this pedophile ring people are and find out who killed good old Scoot and Meryl Streep's daughter. Would you want to watch that, Mason? (laughs) I don't feel like there's enough there for another season. I think with Ray Fisher's character, Detective Hayes Jr., it's sort of just insinuated that he followed up on that lead and figured it out after the credits roll. But I think that maybe he'll, like the detectives from season one, he'll show up in season four and provide a crucial piece of information for the plot of season four. I I think that following up on this lead and going to Julie Purcell won't provide enough information to catalyze another case for another whole season of True Detective. I think there needs to be another killer character. There needs to be another major crime to happen around this pedophile ring that is so obviously weaved throughout these two seasons out of three in the show. And it becomes possibly the big fish for maybe 
For a show like this, I don't see it going for more than five seasons. Maybe they'll just never find it. The whole season, the, all of the seasons will just be like, oh, you know, there's this pedophile ring, but there's this crime. Go solve that one. But the pedophile ring next season, and then next season, the pedophile ring, it's right here, but solve this crime. And they just keep going, and they never find it. What if that's what they are just bringing this all up for, is that season four, it's another crop of characters that find something else out. And then maybe that is like the big, big reveal of like, we actually find out what this pedophile ring is. Then season five, you bring everyone back. You got McConaughey, you got Harrelson, you got Vince Vaughn, you got Colin Farrell, you got good old Taylor Kitsch, <laughs> you got Stephen Dorff, maybe Mahershala. He doesn't need to do these anymore. He's won two Oscars now. And maybe he'll win an Emmy for this. Maybe. I sort of like the idea of them taking clues and different pieces of information from every season and being able to puzzle together a narrative that solves a case over the five seasons while each all five seasons have a case of their own to solve. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Through solving all the cases in all of the seasons, as True Detective reaches its finale, its final episode, all of the seasons will provide enough information to have also solved this pedophile story arc that exists alongside the story arc of each season. I just want there to be a big corny poster where all these leads are just like have their backs against each other just you know folding their arms smirking and then vincent d'onofrio as the pedophile ringleader <laughs> just goes hey you guys stop it i have no idea what vincent d'onofrio sounds like he just falls into all his roles as you've told me you guys got me you finally got me <laughs> <laughs> you got me i've been waiting for you to get me and you finally got me so before we go where does this get to be in all of the seasons? Second best, right? Season one's the I, best. It's, by, without a doubt, the second best season. Like I said, I watched them sort of in tandem. But as I was watching season one, I was like, this is totally better than season three. Uh, through and through, I was just more compelled by the crime and more compelled by the two detectives that were solving this crime. I think they were more interesting as two people. Matthew McConaughey's character in that, first show is the reason i kept watching yeah very very fascinating enchanting sort of person yeah he's he's almost he's this character that just exists in his own world where he just is focused on solving the crime and i feel like they tried to take some of those elements and put them into detective hayes yeah they still had the time jumps they still had the classic you know someone's talking to him in the good old review room trying to figure out what happened yeah. Except there's no Lone Star and a bunch of cigarettes this time. Also, one thing that upset me with this season, there wasn't a recurring beer. There wasn't a recurring alcohol. Season one, Lone Star. Season two, Modelo. We thought like in se- in the beginning of it, it was like maybe Miller High Life, but then they just kept drinking whatever beers they wanted. Bummed me out. Made me sad. But I don't think this season made me sad. I, yeah, I liked it. It was still great. It was still better than most TV that comes out. I think it's going to be a pretty big Emmy contender when those come around. Yeah, I think a lot of supporting actor noms. I'm sure Mahershala will get another nomination and just be nominated for something every award season. I'm not complaining about that. Yeah, I'm not complaining either. I was very satisfied when the credits rolled, but there were plenty of loose ends and it wasn't as good as season one. That's my take on it. It's our uh, hard stance, our real uh, real big takeaway that's so unique from everyone else's <laughs> season three. Not that good as season one, but good. <laughs> that's award-winning podcast commentary. Season three, eh, I liked it, but 
I like the thing I watched before it better. Unique voices. <laughs> well, if you want to listen to our other very unique takes on all media, all of our past episodes are on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Hey, you know, knock on our door and we'll just talk your ear off about stuff. If I can remember the rest of this, this has been a true detective. I'm going to go have a nice big bowl of soup. <laughs> this has been Son of a Ginger. Thank you all. I'm Patrick Bale. I've been Mason Rowe.